You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. My name is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to You Can't Say That. I'm so excited to talk to my guest today because I met him during this uh, global pandemic and he is like an alien to me. Like he lives in another world and I get an hour to like try to see if I can figure out like what world he's seeing and living. So join me in welcoming Andy Carlucci of Liminal. Andy, is it true you just graduated from UVA? It is true. It is true. And this year, yeah, this year in May. Yep. Oh my God. So Andy and I met because he created some technology. It was a beta test, right? To, um, do, um, I was in the school for wives with Moliere on the park and we had people, I was in Korea, Virginia, New York, France. Tell us about that technology. Absolutely. So we did a beta test of our program called Streamweaver and Streamweaver is a tool that lets us do audiovisual transmission, as well as uh, theatrical protocol transmission. Yeah. So we can now get you your already, camera and you video. You're right. talking <laughs> in a new language. First of all, <laughs> but you already just talking. Basically, like you've seen that Oprah thing where Oprah and 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 uh, Obama were like looking like they were in the same room. And oh, yeah, yeah. technology <laughs> like that where he put a room behind us wherever we were in the world and all the, the, the feeds came to him. And he was on a different time. So we were like living in two worlds at the same time. And Andy sent it all out to you guys in one time. So it came the same to you, even though he was getting it from a whole lot of different time zones at different times, right? Yeah. And the way I'd explain it, you know, is if you are, if, if you had this, um, this hypothetical situation where you're an omniscient being, you're looking over the world and you're watching everybody in all these different countries, so you can hear them all at once. In reality, you would observe them doing the performance out of sync entirely. And, and so you're, you're taking something and syncing it up that isn't actually in sync to begin with. So it's a really interesting um, sort of time problem uh, and trying to like figure out the mathematics of how do you, you know, reconstruct comedic timing <laughs> is, uh, is really interesting. Yeah. So Andy, what were you doing when you were a little kid? What was your brain doing? What were you seeing when you were about six or seven? What's well, fine. I've always really been interested in computers. Um, and so I would. Did they would exist take- when you were a child? They did. That you know, we were just starting. Uh, I think um, I, I I borrowed my father's uh, Windows ninety five Office computer after uh, 
uh, he would, you know, he brought that home and, and I got to, you know, mess around with that and, and, and take it apart. Um, and I was, I, I was always really interested in that kind of stuff. I was also at the same time, uh, growing up interested in the arts and, and in performing arts and specifically. Did you perform? So I, least, I did. Um, I did throughout, um, later in elementary school and high school. Um, I, I did a couple of, uh, musicals and things like that, you know, the, at, the, at the high school level. So you sing, um, I, you sing, you dance, <laughs> you act, and you can like see and talk and create and code. Well, I don't know about the singing and the acting, but I, uh, I, I certainly, I certainly can write some software. So, uh, but I've always had these dual interests. So it, it, it was natural for me to, when, you know, looking at the world as it is right now to try to see what I could do in a sort of interdisciplinary way. I'm going to slow you down. First of all, you talk fast, like I talk fast, but you are talking about things that most people do not even understand. Andy, how does your brain conceive of doing what you did for Moliere in the park? Like what, does it in a dream? Is it math? What is it? For me, it's art. And I've always really tried to maintain that the distinctions between technology and art are arbitrary. It's sort of been the thesis of my of my practice well, is explain that I explain that to me. What does that mean? This right, arbitrary. Right. So so when I am writing software, to me it is the same as if I am making a painting. I, I view them as and the exactly the same practice, not a left brain or a right brain thing, but as an expression. And I see it also as a devising work, right? So I see it as collaborative. So I learn from directors and actors and other technicians. Uh, in the in the field, and that influences the practice of making software. So for me, it's it's the same as it was as though it were a collaborative art piece. Um, the construction of the software is itself a performative form. So I'm an actor. My instrument that I use is my body, my voice. What are your tools? I know you're using your body. What are your tools? <laughs> At a very literal level, it's the Visual Studio Development Environment. But the Visual I, uh, Studio. Program- <laughs> what is the Visual Studio <laughs> Development Environment? So I, I write, you know, obviously in programming languages, um, which I see as, you know, uh, I wouldn't say it's it's poetry, um, but it is a. Uh, but it's poetry for you. For me, perhaps, right? It, it's problem solving, and it's it's thinking through um, how the how the language comes together to be able to say something, and in this case, to do something specific like put a performance together online or something like that. Right? Okay, Andy, like, I think I'm kind of smart and you are so over my head. I'm going to try to take <laughs> this good. down to the basic, basic. Let's say, okay. Please. I want to, I saw online that you had a devising workshop. I, I, you know, as a teacher, we certainly create things with our children, but let's pretend we're going to devise something together in this hour. I'm, mm-hmm. you're my teacher. I, I want to, I want to devise um, a, oh God, it's hard. First of all, let me just say this. It is hard. There's a transmedia aspect of what you do, right? Where you can put things in different platforms, correct? That's right. That's right. Okay. So uh, I have a movie called Red Pill and I want it to be on another platform, which means it's going to be a different experience in another platform. So in my mind, I'm thinking on paper linearly. There are a series of choices that the characters make. I want to devise a platform where an audience who isn't watching the film can go through an experience of uh, getting to each choice that the characters make. And if they go down one road, 
the story ends. But if they go down another road, they end up going in the film. Okay, we're devising right, like to- a like a choose your own adventure. Right. right. So okay, wh- where where are you going to send me to do that? Like, what is we're devising that? What is what 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 happens? I'm in your workshop. Right. So the first thing I would do is um, I would ask a little bit more about your your experience in in the in in practice. Right. So I, I really believe that we are um, we we make our best work when we can lean on our our background and experience. Right. So even though we're going into a technical form, something that might be kind of scary to jump into. If, if for example, if you're a projection designer, I want to learn about the art pieces that you've done. If you're you know if you're a um, uh, movie maker, I want to see, you know, how do you think about cuts and film and, and linearity, right? I would like, I want to understand that first. That next step would be, you know, uh, how do we take all of that background and add just a little bit to it so that it's applicable in whatever direction that we're going? Um, so if, in your example, right, I would say, okay, well, let's see, you know, maybe it's a website. Maybe we're making a website where somebody can log in. We've, you know, we're all using websites all the time now. Maybe it's, it's about going to that and clicking through the page and you know seeing a little video clip from the film and then having a reaction to that a response to that and that leading us to another location right and, and so we're if we're if we're thinking about film and cuts maybe what we're doing is we're giving the audience control of the cuts mm. but we're working on the way that you've been working to assemble the film mm. so so i try to learn those kind of things first so, so that we're not starting from zero but we're starting off of a career's worth of knowledge that you've already assembled so that we can make our best work together online Okay, but what? Okay, let's say I, the website. I think everybody understands the website version of it. What if we were going to take it to a game? Gotcha. Um, if we wanted to to sort of gamify it, I think you know there's a lot of. Uh, I look at you know what is what is the um, what are some of the popular games out there, right? Well, there there are some you know some web games out there that are you know pretty collaborative, but there's also a, you know a whole career of like con- conventional gaming, right? So we could look at. Um, I mean, actually, we do this quite often using game engines to assemble the piece, right? Unreal Engine, Unity. These are things that um, are now being used in films to create, uh, you know, and, and so we, we, we can fall back on that knowledge now. And we can say, okay, well, if we want an interactive experience in a game engine, you know, is there a physical component to it, right? We can simulate really complex physics in a game engine. We can have, you know, people colliding with things and, and, and pressing buttons and doing things like that. So does that sort of presume that a physical avatar should be part of this experience, right? As we, as we navigate, you know, and pilot through this nonlinear experience you've created. So maybe now it's about, you know, walking through a world or a lobby or something like that and literally opening, you know, Pandora's box or walking through different doors and then seeing a clip or being, you know, in a VR experience and, and experiencing the film that way. I think those, those start to become opportunities when we want to go down a road like that. Okay. So I'm, I, I understand that from the experiencer. I've done VR. I've done some hold up the phone augmented. I want to understand it from your mind. What are you doing? To- right. So- <laughs> <laughs> so when I, right. When I hear that, I, 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 my first step is to try to find the right tool for the job. So if we're if we're going the web, you know the web series route. Obviously, then you know building a web page. There's some tools that become available. Um, JavaScript is a language that handles a lot of that stuff. So I would you know read up on some of that. Um, I'm gonna stop you because you're already yeah. just over everybody's head, and right. you went to UVA. You're just over our head. I got to slow <laughs> slow you down. JavaScript. Do you speak any languages other than code languages, like other than English? 
I know a little of Spanish. I would never try it uh, <laughs> live because I, uh, I would just embarrass myself. But I can, I can follow a little bit of that. Tell me the relationship between Spanish code and English. Right. So it's so you start with an idea, right? Something you want to communicate, uh, and this is true in any language, right? If if I um, if I am even even code, right? If if I know I want my code to do something, I start with that concept. If I'm speaking to you now and I'm trying to communicate a thought, I start with that concept. Um, one of the things that's slightly different when it comes to programming languages is that they all are, and I guess this is true in, in, in the spoken language too, there are some ideas or concepts that are better expressed in one language versus another, right? Like in, in Spanish, there's this term um, sobre mesa, which talks about the conversation that you have after eating dinner, mm -hmm. uh, where nobody's going to stand up from the table, right? Because we're still, and, and you know, for me to say that, I had to say 50 words in English to describe what in Spanish is a single word. Mm -hmm. and the same is true in a programming language, right? So there might be, um, like I said, JavaScript, which is great for web, you know, it could be done in any other language. It'd be three times as long and a lot slower, right? So that's the first step is selecting the right language to speak, to communicate the idea. And then you can start to actually build out the piece that you're thinking about. Okay. So now I, I, I think I'm okay there. So you must constantly be learning new languages all the time because you start building something and then what do you go? Wow, that's too many too many lines of code. There's got to be a language that can do it in less. Is that a decision you're making? Well, uh, certainly is in, in, in a large way. It's about, uh, I, I certainly do try to learn new languages often. Um, again, when, you know, when a new problem presents itself on a platform, that I haven't tried before, uh, that that looking up to see, okay, what language do people usually use to solve this problem and do I know it um, comes up for sure. I will say that there's this really interesting thing in, in the software world where um, this, is a, this idea that we refer to as Turing completeness, um, which is the idea that all of these languages are theoretically capable of doing the same thing, right? So if a language is Turing complete, it can do anything else that any other language can do. So it is theoretically possible to do anything with any of these languages. It's a question about finding the one that's going to be most convenient. And what, because of this, you find this pattern that learning one language, and I think this is true with polyglots too, is that you know they um, they will say that you know once they got past language three or four, five, six, seven, and eight came a lot more naturally, even if they're you know again totally different. And so that's kind of how I feel um, learning something for an embedded system or a web system, even if they're totally different languages, they lean on a lot of the same ideas and you start to find that through line you start to find that pattern so you're gonna have to get your dictionary out as we're listening to andy he's already brought up alan turing there's a movie you know with a british actor about that and polyglots uh that's what it's going to be like for this hour and i'm going to keep trying to get him simpler and simpler till maybe we're talking about what he was like at three <laughs> <laughs> with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. When did your parents cease to understand you? I think I think we got to third grade uh, and there was sort of a launch at that point for sure. Um, I definitely remember uh, they, and they, they, you know, they jokingly say, you know, they would, they were great helping me with my homework growing up and, you know, checking my work and all of that. And I think we got to third or fourth grade and, you know, you start to do some of that long form division or whatever it is like, all right, you're on your own kid. Like, you know, have, have good luck with that. Uh, and uh, so I think, you know, in an academic world, we got beyond that. I do try to keep them in the loop though. I really do. Um, and I think that's part of the reason I love the performing arts so much is that it is something that we have an instinct to be able to experience and understand. So they might not understand exactly what I'm doing to get, you know, School for Wives synced up and, and you know, get the lighting design controlling. All, they might not understand that. What they can enjoy is a performance they can sit back on their couch, put on their television and enjoy, right? And so for me, that expression is sort of a universal thing. So that's why I really enjoyed this world so much. Was it, I want to try to get inside the frustration of being a child who is seeing things, understanding things that your grownups don't. What was that like? It, um, <clears throat> wow, that's a, I've never really sort of pondered that before, but I would say that it, um, I, I have a lot of respect for um, the sacrifices that uh, my parents have made and that people in my life have made. They've shown me a lot of generosity. Uh, Why did they have and, to show you generosity? Did you get frustrated and start breaking shit? No, but they but they had the um, sort of the the patience, but also the the humility that even if they didn't understand what I was passionate about, they were going to drop everything and try to help me pursue it. Give us an example and something you were passionate right, exactly. about, Nathan. Like what what is he talking about? Uh, coding workshops, right? Like so, I was I was. Um, in high school and I wanted to uh, go to a thing called Jam Tech, which was uh, a place where you could go and make a video game in a day. And it was like a camp, like a, a camp workshop. You get together with some friends and you had a couple of hours and some computers and it was try to make the best thing you could, right? And my, and my folks were great. They, you know, they helped me get out there, um, had no idea what I was doing. And I remember in the middle of this competition, I was trying to make a multiplayer game and the internet in the building where we were working went out. Uh. And the whole premise of my game was that you had multiple people doing it. So I called my father and I said, Dad, I need a mobile hotspot. I need you to, you know, I need you to call Verizon and get me, you know, a mobile hotspot on my phone. And he did it. He took care oh. of me. And uh, and we were able to play the game. And I, 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 you know, I fall back on that. He probably had no idea what a mobile hotspot was, <laughs> why I needed it. Oh. But he knew that if he called the Verizon service number and he asked for a mobile hotspot, he'd be able to get me one. And uh, and and so I I, I uh, have a lot of gratitude for those sort of things that and this is a consistent pattern they've been you know i've had mentors and um and, and especially my folks have always been there to support whatever i needed in that last moment to take me to the store and buy that piece of computer hardware that i need to finish my you know my project or um help me on the on the on the showroom floor to get something online and they've always been there and i and i'm really appreciative for that did you do any sports we know you did some theater but i want to know what other things your mind was doing yeah, I, I did two sports. I ran cross country, which was really helpful to sort of um, uh, help me calm the, um, the thought process. It was really uh, like sort of a meditative practice in addition to being an exercise practice, right? So 
so I, you know, in the Washington DC area. So I would run, you know, from the Capitol to the Washington monument and past Lincoln Memorial and come back, you know, and on that run, I'd be thinking about, you know, my day or the problems I was trying to solve in class or things like that. And it really helped me relax, organize my thoughts because it can become quite a cacophony. Um, I also fenced in high school, which was really interesting. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, swordsmanship is, um, equally about you know strength and precision so trying to understand the balance of those things and strategize uh it's a physical chess game so those were um really helpful to my own development and and physically expressing what's going on in my head right to be able to get that out and and organize it in a productive and healthy way was 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 critical for sure um was there you know was there ever a time where they were like it sounds like your brain is moving so fast that sometimes it's too fast for you is that accurate oh yeah it's absolutely true yeah i definitely have to take part in meditative practices or things that help me um uh organize my thoughts before i can be productive what is the um what is the physical experience of that is it something where they're like oh my god we got to give them a medication or like what is the physical experience of having a mind that does that because not everybody's mind does that Right. It's, I think, um, it's a, it, for me, it was a lot about, um, getting out of my system and getting it into the world. So understand, like, so exercise, like I was just saying is a huge component of that. Um, but I also think taking time to be quiet and peaceful, um, either through spiritual practice, yeah, but little um, boys don't do that. Through, so what were you doing as a little well, boy? But, but they, but they do, you know, I think that, um, I think, you know, uh, the, the church was something that was important to me growing up. So my folks were really, you know, good about taking me to, to mass and, and that was, you know, a quiet space to be able to, you know, granted, you know, a five-year-old's meditation is probably not that complex, right? But it is that moment of stillness of, of quiet that is helpful as a resetting point for the day. Um, so I think those things did sort of persist throughout my life. Um, I think that my folks were also really good about the work-life balance. You know, that's something that has been harder for me to maintain on my own, right? Has you know, I've I've wanted to work, 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 but they've been good about you know the the family movie night, the you know the sitting together at dinner as a family, right? Those sort of things that help us come together, commune, and, and reset for the day um, have been helpful resetting points that help kind of bring me back to reality and uh, space the thinking out. Okay, so tell me where you're. You're where are you uh, most of the time? Since you're not here with us, where are you most of the time? I am in my basement. Um, I am. Uh, I am in this little cave office. Uh, no, no, no. I'm talking about the I've, space inside oh, the liminal space uh, in my head. The liminal, the liminal space, space. The liminal. The space. name of your company. Tell me your liminal space. What's it like? Walk me through it. Like I, you're, you're, you're. Uh, tell me what I'm seeing. I'm in your liminal space. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm thinking about problems, right? So I, I'm thinking about like half solved puzzles, you know, puzzles that have half the pieces are laid out and half of them are missing, right? And there's a whole bunch of tables set up around and, and there's a bunch of those lying there. And every now and then um, I'll be thinking and I'll walk over to one and I'll put another piece in and I'll figure out where it goes. And maybe that leads to another five pieces going in. And maybe it's just that one that day. And then we walk on to the next one and we look at that. And we move on to the next one and we look at that. And um, sometimes the solution to one puzzle will help us understand the pattern that might help solve another puzzle. So we're walking constantly between these tables with these half-finished projects on them. And eventually, one of them will get completed and that will be really exciting. But what we'll immediately do is we'll clear it off the table <laughs> and we'll put a new one down, right? And we'll start the next one again. 
So you've got multiple problems going on in your mind simultaneously. And at any given moment, you go and like, oh, I, I got a little memo for that. And then I might jump over to, to the table over there and over there. Where do you believe, feel the source of the answers comes from? Sorry, I couldn't hear that. The source of the answers to these problems, these puzzles you're solving. Where's the answer coming from? Well, it's funny. I really do believe that um, our subconscious mind is the most powerful tool that people probably don't use. Um, I, I I have found, and I, I've read this in um, a couple of, of books. Poya's How to Solve It is a great book about problem solving. Highly recommend it. But um, there's this idea that our heads are working in the background, right? And all we have to do is is prime ourselves to answer a question, and then we can actually stop thinking about the solution. And that, and I'm sure you've had this experience where you're working on something, and you'll you'll realize the answer to a question you had a couple of days ago or a couple of weeks ago. So I've really tried to believe that, like, all right, what what causes that to happen? What are the things that we could prime ourselves and our experience to be able to encourage our heads to work in the background for us? And and that's a huge part of it. So if I'm thinking about a problem, I'll try to. You know, I think reading is, is a really important thing. It gives you a lot of perspective. It gives you, um, and I think that reading is something that we tend to process in the background, narrative stories, things we, we, we keep thinking about. So I try to frame it always in a narrative and then store it and and move on to the next thing. I, tr- I find that if I get um, too into the weeds with a particular project, I slow down quite a bit. If I refresh and move on to the next thing, that, that old project is still happening. It's just working in the background. And eventually it'll all clash together and we'll have the solution. Now, see, you speak in my language, but I talk about it in a different way. I tell people, like I tell my students, make a list of all the people you want to work with, all the things you want to do. Okay, you're planting a seed. You don't have to do anything else. You've already set it up. Now you're, the rest of you is working to be aware of when that person has got a project or near like that is how I feel like I'm living my life. Like everything is always available to us. We can't focus specifically on any of it, but if we take a little time and set up the conditions inside ourselves, every time we walk out, there's some part of us that's radiating and attracting the answers to the problems we've set. Am I following what you're talking about? I think, I think we're saying the same thing just through different lived experience. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, I definitely feel that. Okay, now I feel like we're not just so foreign. You're not completely <laughs> alien to me. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm so so fascinated. So liminal. The, I, I was looking up the word. I was looking up your company. Do you know um, Hannah Gadsby? No. I think you'll appreciate her. She's a comedian, and she's got two pieces on Netflix. One is called uh, Nanette. I've watched it 14 times. One is called Douglas. I saw it in New York a couple of times. And she recently was diagnosed, discovered that she um, is, is it autistic or Asperger's? One of those, um, which she said just made so much sense for her. But she talks about how if you were to do a documentary and come into her house and watch her, she likes moving objects around because in her mind, she has a relationship with the space between them. Mm, wow. Uh, and that is just fills her with just intense pleasure and joy. And I'm reading Tyson Yunkaperto's book, Sand Talk, where he talks about this thing that we call like, like the black matter that for the first 
peoples of the Aborigine, they are aware that all of that thing that we think of as space in between is more active than what we think of as real tangible things. Tell me about that for you. Absolutely. I think that um, definitions are great. I think definitions hold us back in a big way. And that's why I, that's why I named the company Liminal. I think that um, people ask, what do I do? <laughs> and I, uh, I didn't ask I that. Right. Right. But I, I, and I think that that's the, the, the I do believe in this inter intersectional space. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is an active space and it's actually perhaps even a more active space. Right. You, you talk about dark matter. Scientists say that that's, you know, 75% plus of the universe is dark matter. Right. And so it can't just be, you know, this, uh, this boring, unimportant thing. It's the majority of what's out there. Right. So I, I, I really believe in that. I, I believe that intersectional space is generative. Right. It is um, the impetus for the things that we do define and do describe. Right. So I don't believe I'm an artist or a technician. I'm somewhere in the liminal space right between that. And it's not just a indecision. It's an active intermediary. It is a place where um, I am. I am. There is work happening in this space. Uh, it, it tries to elude definition by its own existence, right? So that, I really, I truly, truly vibe with what you're saying. What's the most kind of woo-woo experience that you've had as an artist, innovator, creator? Yeah. I'll tell you. So I, um, getting oriented to the world of performance art is definitely, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely an experience for sure. I had a real privilege. Uh, my mentor, Eamon Farrell from Anonymous Ensemble, um, invited me up to New York a couple of uh, winters ago to work on a piece he was doing uh, with his company called The Future. And uh, he proposed it to me. He came at me from the technical perspective. He said, hey, I got some problems for you to solve. I need to figure out how to do some audio routing for this show I'm working on. Can you come up? And, you know, I, I didn't really know what to expect. I wasn't familiar with the piece. I knew about the problem, right? I knew how to do my part of it. And I walk into the space. It was a great Chisama space in, in New York. And we get in there. And the company had plastic wrapped an entire bar <laughs> um, they had and it was this weird they had lights in the ceiling and it, it was this whole psychedelic experience and i walked into it having literally no expectation of it but as i spent days and days with the performers and the artists i i started to get past that initial shock of walking into this really experimental and crazy looking space right and i i put on the white lab coat with the rest of them and and uh sat behind them while they were doing their performance and yes i was doing my technical practice but I was actually able to sort of um, expand beyond myself into the space, into this plastic wrapped bar. Um, and at that moment, I could feel uh, I felt at home in a in a performance art space. Right. I knew the theater. I understood some of that. But performance art and, and getting oriented to that world has been um, it's been a big step for me. But it's also been uh, very liberating, I would say. What <clears throat> you're you're defining performance art in a way that it seems unique to you. What is the difference to you in theater and performance art? Well, I, again, I, I, I think that, you know, um, in a conventional sense, right. Theater is, is, uh, uh, can be quite narrative. Um, I, I'm interested in performance art that it's audience interactive as well. That breaks down that distinction between, um, performer and spectator, right. The, the, um, and puts them in a role of, uh, sort of the spect actor, um, as, as I've heard it defined before. And I think that, um, these are the things that are perhaps very intrinsic to performing arts uh, and that um, performance art drives at some of these 
interpersonal relationships, communicative values. Um, and I think that theatrical narrative form can do that. It can inform us that performance art really drives right at the core of that. And of course, it's different for everybody's personal practice, right, of how they do it and what it specifically looks like. But I found it, I found it really fascinating. And, I, and I've tried to, especially in, a, in the COVID world, make sure that performance art can still occur just, just as, you know, in addition to the, you know, the conventional narratives, the Moliere's, the, you know, that kind of stuff to make sure that that stuff goes along just, you know, right alongside of it. Have you heard of, um, I think her name is Karen Palmer's Riot, the movie that watches you watching it? I have heard about that. I haven't experienced it, well, I, um, but I, yeah, I think it's only it. in England and it's, um, it's this, well, I guess it's a 360 surround experience and they're using AI. <clears throat> You're in a riot, a police officer confronts you and based on the IA's perception of your body temperature, et cetera, and your response, you either are allowed to leave or you get killed. Right. <laughs> I, I that's that kind of stuff excites me. I think and I think that's one of the interesting things about the pandemic too is that you know these performances performances in front of screens like you know say what you will about that but it's good data. Like from from my perspective I'm seeing I I'm seeing a lot of faces, I'm seeing a lot of eyes, I'm seeing information and then that information can inform the art in a way that standing, you know, 60 feet away from the performer on a stage on a proscenium can't do for some of our tech, right? So I'm I'm able to do things like make digital puppets, right, off of the performer's face because there's a camera right in front of them and we're sort of accepting that, right, in this form. Like that's not that's not shocking, right? We're we're all kind of used to the teleconferencing. Um so now we're able to do stuff with that, right? So that that opens up a lot of opportunities I think as well. This is Tanya Pinkins, and that was part one of my conversation with Andy Carluccio, Brainiac. Come back for part two. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. You is dead. Tanya Pinkins' horror film, Red Pill, brings African-American perspective to progressive movement. We are a majority in this country and we're gonna win the election. Do you know what the red pill is? A red pill is someone who infiltrates a group and then destroys them from the inside. This place is spooky. Some people like to live dangerously. Gas, why are you so jumpy tonight? You know what, guys? I'm gonna go back tomorrow. Did you hear about the creature woman that attacked a father and son hunting down here? I don't see the case. This place creeps me out. I think we should call the sheriff's office. missing or dead are brown people they're after all of us what do we do amelia we die but we take some of them with us 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.